Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Howdy, folks. I'm Emily. <laughs> that's uh, that's Southern Emily for you, and I'm Cassie. <laughs> and this is Full Scream Ahead, your spooky road trip bucket list podcast from the South, I guess. <laughs> I feel like this is the first time we've talked in a little bit. <laughs> it's only been a week. I know it's been two weeks now because I was at Dice Tower, right? Oh yeah, a week and a half. Or did we did we record on a Monday? We recorded yeah Monday before your really quickly Monday before your convention. How was the convention? Oh dude, that feels like a lifetime ago. Um, <laughs> convention was really like let me tell you how many things have happened since we did that recording uh jacob and i went to dice tower the five-day board game convention um i was a shift supervisor so i had shift supervisor shifts um the first three days and i helped with the teardown shift on sunday but one of the days we had to leave the con because jacob's car had to go to the mechanic shop because his check engine light won't go off and then the next day I had to leave the con after my volunteer shift because I had to go to a doctor's appointment with a, for a consultation with a surgeon. Tuesday, um, I had a doctor's appointment. Tuesday was the day before the con, the day after we recorded. Tuesday, I had a doctor's appointment. Um, I was getting the results from my ultrasound and my doctor was concerned about the size of my liver. So I had to take a blood test to see if I had like liver disease. And she told me it would be seven days before they got the results. Have you heard from her? She would call me if it was bad. And if it was good, I would not hear from her. <laughs> Please call me and tell me that you didn't just forget and it's good news. Not yet, but I feel like that's still a bad way to handle this. Um, <laughs> so like, like, listen, you can't just not call me. I have anxiety. Yeah, right. Like, I want to know that I, my liver's fine. Um, so I know. <laughs> so I, I've been stressed out about getting my blood test results. I have started to carpool with Jacob because his car is still in the shop currently. And then I had a consultation with my surgeon. So now I know I have to have surgery, but it's six weeks away. Oh. Um, and I'm afraid to eat anything because I'm afraid anything is going to Oof. hurt my gallbladder and make it flare up. That's a busy week. <laughs> <laughs> so it Damn. feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, it's been it's been wild. And today, you know what's funny is today one of my coworkers asked me if I um, was okay because uh, we're friends outside of work too. And I was like, oh yeah, I, like I'm I'm fine. I'm just really tired. I'm not sleeping well. And she was like, oh well, is like there's something in particular that's stressing you out? And my first response to her was, not that I can think of, bitch. What do you mean, not that you can think of? <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I not stressed about? <laughs> Who was I fooling? Not her. We're <laughs> friends. She knows me. Um, Health, but, gas prices, war. Yeah, yeah. Also, that that too. Gas prices and war have also happened. Um, so I just, <laughs> it's, who? It's fine. Everything's fine. I haven't gotten a call yet for my doctor, which is, I guess, a good thing because that means there's not bad results. Because today is Wednesday, right? Yeah. So yesterday would have been seven days. Mm. Yes. So I haven't gotten a call yet. So I think I'm in the clear, but I'm going to be nervous about it until Saturday. Cool. Yeah. So that's fun. Boy. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, my week hasn't been as exciting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just been busy at work. 
Mm-hmm. I have been approved for two apartments, so now I'm just trying to decide which is the lesser two evils. So <laughs> Yay! You want to go over pros and cons real quick? Okay, well, one is $200 cheaper. It has more utilities included. It's got better reviews, and it's a 20-minute bus ride from work, but it's in a really sketchy part of town. Ooh. So. What part? Um. And. Yeah. Oh, if it was, like. That's like that's maybe a little iffy, but like still okay. It's a different ball game. I mean, it's gated, so that's plus, but that doesn't mean anything. Are the gates actually closed? I only saw two reviews where there was a shooting. Oh, okay. Um, MBD, MBD. And then the other one is more like a forty-five minute bus ride to work, and it's two hundred dollars more, and it doesn't include any utilities. I feel like you go for the sketchy one. I'm kind of leaning towards the sketchy one too. I mean. I, I've lived it worse. I mean, it'd be really nice to be close to work, especially now that we're moving. It would literally be one bus ride just straight down. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, because I guess we're going to move offices in like a month. Um. Yeah, I vote for like, so is it like about the same level as your last apartment sketchiness or more? I mean, I haven't really been down there, so I don't really know. No, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I believe in you. I think you can do it. Everyone's face when I say that those cross streets is just kind of... <laughs> A little, a little concerning. I feel like that's how my face is when you say <laughs> But that's like sketchiness I know. Yeah, that's familiar sketchiness. That is the sketch where I feel at home. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am excited that you got approved for two places and you it's a good decision to have. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, we didn't get a ton of exceptions when we were applying to rent houses, but we got like two within a couple of days all of a sudden. And we literally just signed the first lease we could as soon as we could because we were nervous. We weren't going to get any other exception letters. The market's a mess. Yeah. Add that to the list of stressors. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. But yeah, so I'm very excited for you. You were able to get able to get two offers. I'm just excited to live alone again. I believe that. I would want to live alone. I just lived alone for so long and I'm around like lots of people. I'm just like Ugh. I wouldn't I would rather live alone than with like my like the house I grew up in, but I like living with my sister. Yeah. What's it like living alone? I've never actually lived by myself. I like it. As loud and as weird as you want. No one will judge you if you get really high and just suddenly you're like a sim where you can't concentrate on what's happening that's me every time i'm high i understand that feeling <laughs> dance parties with your cats at 2 a.m mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no one judges how many times do you order uber eats in a day a day i don't want to talk about it now i'm judging <laughs> listen lockdown was a tough time <laughs> yeah i know i know i understand it was a tough time for all of us i would literally go days without seeing people yeah i lived with jacob and Catherine, so thankfully i still lived with people but it was still tough because i was unemployed i was home all the time i started going out with one of my friends shay we would hang out a couple times a week and we was just like within our little circle but it sucked still i can't imagine it being like absolutely alone the whole time i would go a little crazy i had oliver oh yeah that's why she's so needy now now we don't understand how to be apart (laughs) uh the hints you gave me last time i think it was something I, i think it's something in like the new england area but i know for sure you said vampires oh yeah so 
Have you ever heard of the town of Exeter, Rhode Island? No, but I feel like I should have. Actually, no, I'm actually really not surprised you haven't. It's actually a really small town. So Exeter, Rhode Island is a town in Washington County, Rhode Island. It's just east of the Connecticut border. And it's pretty small. It's really only uh, 58.4 square miles wide. What? And it's home to about 6,400 people as of 2020. What What do you do there? What? Um... I don't know, go to grave sites of vampires, because this town has had a lot of problems with vampires in the past. <laughs> okay, um, how did, how, you know what, I'm just going to let you tell it. I want to know how the vampires came about, and I'm sure that you're getting there. So Exeter was first formed in 1742, so it's been around for quite a while, and it's home to some of the most well-documented cases of vampire exhumation. I'm going to trip over that word this entire time, but That's vampire exhumation, which is when a body is exhumed under the belief that the deceased is a vampire. And this mostly took place during what was called the New England Vampire Panic, which is something new that I learned about and actually spent way too much money on books about. Hmm. So let's start off with a little bit of background on the New England Vampire Panic itself. Let me catch my breath. I need to learn how to talk. You're allowed, yeah, you're allowed to like pause to take a breath. I don't know how to pause. I just want to, I'm just really excited to talk about vampires. I know. I just, I need to make sure that you're still breathing. So that way I don't start to believe that you are part of the undead. This has been their plot the whole time to get on our uh, top 250 and travel Ooh. podcast so they could further invade the world. That's right, because we are now in the top 250 travel podcasts on Apple. Which I don't know how it happened. I don't know how many people listen to us, actually. I don't know what our actual like regular listener count is. I think like maybe three of my friends are consistently listening to this, but maybe only one. <laughs> uh, shout out to Katie. I know she's listening. I've seen Katie on the Instagram. Yeah, she, Katie's wonderful. She's very, very... She actually... This is really cute. She sent me a voice message. The, I'm sorry to interrupt your story. Right. She sent me a voice message the other day. And she was like... Uh, she was listening to Jonestown and she was like, I've never heard this plane part before. It's stressing me out so bad. And I just, I had paused it to talk to Jake and I told him how I was so, it was crazy how this thing went down and I was listening to this podcast about it. And then she suddenly remembered it was my podcast and she was like, oh wait, this is Cassie's podcast. (laughs) So like, she forgot it was us. Like she forgot it was my thing for a little bit and she still loved it. And that felt very nice. Oh, that's Um, awesome. Yeah, I like so that people it, like us. Me too. It's very nice. I'm I'm very proud. This is the most internet fame I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, probably same. <sighs> All right. So let's talk about some vampires. So I want to start off um, before we get into just stuff that happened here in the town. Let's do a little bit of background on the New England vampire panic. Um, So this was mostly during the 18th and 19th centuries where there was a big outbreak of tuberculosis or TB or at the time it was known as consumption. Uh, And TB is a bacterial infection. It's usually caused by Mycobacterium tuberculosis bacteria, or MTB, and it generally affects the lungs, but it can also spread to other parts of your body. Some of the symptoms can include a dry cough, um, night sweats, fever, body chills, weight loss, and just general fatigue. It was called consumption because it would appear to just like consume the body and people would Mm -hmm. just suddenly just drain all the life out of them and um it wasn't really understood at the time so a lot of people didn't understand why people were appearing to just like melt away in front of their eyes that's that's really crazy yeah and it spreads pretty easily among family members because it is a bacterial infection um so when one family member died 
usually other family members were prone to catch it. So you would see these cases of tuberculosis just making its way through families and unfortunately taking a lot of lives with it. But because TB was not known what it actually was until the late 19th century, um, superstition. Emily, Emily, I need you to breathe. <laughs> like, do I do I need to do I need to interrupt you more often so you can take a breath? Vampires. <laughs> okay. Um. Let's back up to the beginning of this paragraph. Okay. <clears throat> so, because the cause of TB was not known until the late 19th century, superstition soon took place of actual medical diagnosis in certain parts of the world. This was especially prominent in certain parts of Europe. And a lot of it was in New England as well. So a lot of people believe that the deceased who suffered from TB would then come back as vampires and drain the life of their family members from beyond the grave. And this was what started the New England vampire panic. People were genuinely concerned that if someone died from what we now know as tuberculosis, they would come back and take the rest of the family with them. Hmm. Because that's the only way the whole family would be taken out, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So family and people who are close to that person were all very much at risk for also suffering the same fate. Mm-hmm. And then they will come back and then they will spread it. Mm-hmm. So the small town of Exeter, Rhode Island in particular, had a few instances in which the town people had genuinely thought that vampires were attacking and draining the life from their neighbors and their families. So let's start with our first vampire incident in the 1700s. And I'm going to go over three of their main vampires that they had in Exeter. And uh, it's it's going to be fun. So in the late 1700s, the first vampire incident um, that we know about that was in Exeter at the time was first published about in a book in 1937. It was by Sidney Ryder, and his book was called Vampirism in Rhode Island. And this is the first account we have of a vampire in this town. Um, According to Sidney's account, uh, there was a man, his name was Stutley, quote, Snuffy Tillinghast. Snuffy was his his nickname. Tillinghast? Tillinghouse. Tillinghast. Tillinghast. What? Tillinghast. Tillinghast. Yes. Weird. Yep. (laughs) So his name was Stutley, but um, he was also known as Snuffy, which I wish I knew why. So in this legend that was published at this time, um, he supposedly had a dream and in which his apple orchard was suddenly blooming with life. His apples were the best they'd ever been. But suddenly half of these crops withered and died. So Snuffy, Stuffy, Snuffy, Snuffles, Snuffles, Snuffle up again. I accept Snuffles as a substitution. Snuffles it is. Snuffles. So Snuffles was an apple farmer. And with his wife, Honor, together they had 14 children. And also, according to the Rhode Island records, me and Honor Tillinghast are birthday twins. Ooh. We were both born on January 6, 1745. You were born in 1745? Yes. Got it, got it, got it. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so I actually got to go, um, I moisturize. I have a lot of garlic to put on some pizza and some meat. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so the eldest daughter of honor and snufflumpagus, uh, she was actually child number 10 of 14 and her name was Sarah Tillinghast. 
and Sarah was born on October 10, 1777. When she was 22 in 1799, she suddenly became very ill with fever, chills, and fatigue. She rapidly declined over the course of a few short weeks, and soon she was dead, unfortunately. Um, One by one, several of the Tillinghast children soon followed Sarah and suffered an early grave. Oh, there's a little bit of disagreement on how many of the Tillinghast children actually died from tuberculosis. The story that was published in Sydney Ryder's book claimed that seven of them died. And this kind of matches up with the dream that supposedly happened where half of his orchard died, half of his children died. So people are saying, oh, seven of his 14 children died. However, in Rhode Island records, supposedly only five of their children were recorded as becoming ill and dying at this time. That's still a lot. Um, That's still a good portion of your children, and I can't imagine any parent going through that. While the children were sick, they would mention Sarah visiting them in their dreams, and that they would often see Sarah before that they would start feeling sick. And because of these mentions, soon family members and neighbors they became convinced by mid-1800 that the children were being attacked by a vampire and that they would find the vampire and burn its heart and lungs to end the attacks. So they exhumed all of the bodies of the deceased children and examined them. Hold on. So they decided that not only are the people who die from tuberculosis vampires who come back and kill their whole family, Now one of these people has decided to kill other people's families too? No. So we're still talking about all the Tillinghast children. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And Sarah was the first one who passed. And they're saying that they're seeing visions of her before she dies. Okay, so they thought Sarah was the vampire. Yeah. um, But now everyone's, you know, like, okay, well, one of these children is a vampire. So we have to dig up all their bodies and examine them. Mm -hmm. So all of the children in this family were dug up and examined. Uh, However, when they dug up Sarah's body, they didn't need to examine very closely before coming to the conclusion that she was the vampire, because her body was actually very well preserved. Um, She was noted to still have her skin still looked mostly uh, intact. Her hair had grown. Her nails had grown. Her eyes were still open. And we don't really have an explanation for that. That's creepy. Um, But your hairs and your hair and nails don't actually grow. Um, after you die, what's happening is dehydration is setting in and your skin is shrinking. Oh, I actually did not know that. Yeah, fun, fun thing. The human body is disgusting. Yep, we're gross. So I actually ended up did finding this super cool book. Uh, it's written by Thomas Agostino, And it was him and his wife, Arlene, they actually go to these places and examine the grave sites and the official records. It's very cool. And this is the most like in-depth history book I've ever read about stuff like this. It's such a cool specific job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, want to know who funded their research, because thank you. And this book by Sidney Ryder that was published in 1937, he actually got a copy of that book. And he was able to publish some pages in this book. And I'm actually going to read a passage right now. So this is from the 1937 book, The Vampires of Rhode Island. And this is Sydney Ryder's account of what happened uh, the day they dug up Sarah. Okay, and then, sorry, this man wasn't there, right? He's another researcher? Yeah, he's another researcher who published this book in 1937. Okay. And this is the earliest known account that we have of this. Unfortunately, we don't really know what his source was, but we do know that these were all real people that existed. 
So where the truth actually is, is probably somewhere between this and what actually... What the records say. Yeah. It says, these were the last of their children that had died. But the body of the first, of Sarah, she was found to be in a very remarkable condition. The eyes were open and fixed, the hair and nails had grown, and the heart and the arteries were filled with fresh red blood. What? It was clear at once to these astonished people that the cause of their trouble lay there before them. All of the conditions of the vampire were present in the corpse of Sarah, the first that had died, and against whom all the other had so bitterly complained. Her heart was removed and carried to the designated rock, and there solemnly burnt. That being done, the mutilated bodies were returned to their respective graves and covered. Peace then came to this afflicted family, but not, however, until a seventh victim had been demanded. Thus the dream of Stutley fulfilled. No longer did the nightly visits of Sarah afflict his wife, who soon regained her health. The seventh victim was a son, a promising young farmer who had married and lived upon a farm adjoining. He was too far gone when the burning of Sarah's heart took place to recover. And that is what happened when they found Sarah's body. That's like, it's creepy that she was in that good of a condition. It's very sad that their daughter, Sarah, has become this evil vampire. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately, that's really the only thing we... Emily? My stupid cat jumped on my mouth. Oh, okay. I lost you for a second there. Because my mouse was just hovering over the mute button. Ah, perfect. Blame Aries. I lost you... As you were saying, that's really the only thing we, and then you cut out. Oh, yeah. That's really the only thing we know about Sarah anymore. That is pretty much the only thing that comes up when you search for her, is that she was one of the first vampires in America. I wonder if she was smart or like for her time or if she was like a prankster or something like that you know like before before the evil evil vampirism set in I feel like it's sad that we don't know that yeah she was 22 when she died so especially at that time that was a full-fledged adult the idea that 22 is an adult (laughs) is horrifying like a full-fledged adult like I'm 27 I'm not a full-fledged adult uh I'm 29 and um I'm still a youth at least that's what I'm always yelling at my co-workers but I'm also like the youngest one in my department I'm still hip with the kids down with the youth but um before we move on to the next vampire I want to take a quick sidebar really quick because you notice at the end of that passage um he was talking about the young man who lived at the farm next to them who was married Uh, yeah the brother the promising young farmer um yeah I want to talk about them for a minute okay um, the person who wrote this book, Thomas D. I'm gonna, I feel so bad because I don't know how to pronounce his name. D. Agostino. Uh, he's actually a paranormal researcher and investigator, and he really went into like the genealogy and like the official records of who died when, um, where they're buried. Like, there's so much research who went into this, and he has a few guesses as to who this fine young man might be. But there's one that really stood out to me that I need to talk about. And this was Anstis Tillinghast. Okay. So Anstis at the time was considered a masculine name. Um, Anstis was 17 at the time. Um, so it really wouldn't be out of the question that they would be married and living on a neighboring farm. Mm-hmm. The only reason why people don't think that this could be the person is because according to Rhode Island records, Anstis was born female. Now... I'm not saying trans farmers who may or may not be related to vampires, but I would read that novel. I would also read that novel. Anyway, I just thought that was a really interesting note. That's super cool. 
trans vampires trans vampires so yeah i just i needed to point that out yes I think. everyone's like how how could this person be born female but everything else in the record shows like a masculine name and things masculine people do oh no how you know what even if even if they're not trans um i like the gender nonconformity of their behavior versus their records good for you amstice yeah, um, realistically, it was probably just a clerical error somewhere. Probably, but uh, I'm still going with trans vampires. Yeah, trans vampires is way cooler. Yep. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to 1874. So in 1874, it was written that William Rose exhumed the body of his recently deceased daughter, who was believed to have died from consumption. William then removed and burned her heart because he wanted to end the possibility that there would be any vampire attacks on his family. It's also noted at the time that there were no other members of this family who were at the time showing signs of consumption. And William was just taking matters into his own hands before anyone would start showing symptoms. Wait, so his daughter maybe got a cold and he was like, nope, no vampire here. <laughs> she died. She did die from consumption, but she was the only one in the family at the time that had this disease. Got it. And mostly people wait until somebody dies to think of vampires. Yes, yes. And even the newspapers at the time thought this was a little odd that there was no signs of a vampire, but he still chose to have her body exhumed and these parts of her removed and burned. So even mm-hmm. at the time, which... Again, it's 1874. This was seen as weird. Very superstitious. Um, While William and his wife, Mary, were treated to proper graves, which are right next to each other and pretty prominent in the graveyard they're at, this supposed daughter was really nowhere to be found. This chapter, and again, this book, A History of Vampires in New England, it's so good. But this chapter, the author and his wife actually went on a journey to find this grave of this supposed daughter and they found her okay cool so she's real she is real um she ended up being buried um a couple miles away in i believe a place called peacedale yeah so they ended up searching records and historical gravesites, and soon they came upon a name that made all of these little puzzle pieces fit together and her name was phoebe rose who is Phoebe Rose? And her name is actually spelt really cute. It's P-H-E-B-E. Aww. Phoebe. She was buried at the Oakdale Cemetery after passing at 22 years of age on May 4th, 1874. Dr. Michael E. Bell, who is a folklorist and an author, he actually ended up discovering a very interesting detail about William Rose's wife and why they, well, maybe why they decided to make such a public showing of exhuming the body of their daughter. Uh, her maiden name was Tillinghast. Oh. Mm-hmm. So Mary was actually the great-granddaughter of Snuffleupagus in honor. Oh. Yeah. So it's what we're kind of thinking is William kind of wanted to distance his family away from being known for having vampires in mm-hmm. it. Look, ending it here. No vampires. No yeah. vampires coming here. He's like, look, we know there's a history. We're being cautious. There's none here. We're good. <laughs> that was an interesting find. But also, you know, I guess it's not really that far out of the box because especially in this time and in these tiny towns, it was pretty common you'd find people who would never, you know, wander more than five miles away from where they were born. Oh, that's very small. Yeah, because, I mean, it's still a tiny town today, so it, it's kind of easy, I guess, to see how, you know, these families could all be connected, but... 
I don't know. Vampires. Vampires. <laughs> All right. And now the last one I want to talk about. This is actually the most famous vampire on our list. And really the only one that I set out intending to do this episode on um, before I found the other two. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the best documented case of vampire ex- exhumation that we have. And this is Mercy Brown, okay. who is also known yeah. as the last American vampire. Oh, so the Brown family had unfortunately been plagued with multiple cases of consumption. Mary Eliza Brown, the matriarch of the family, she was the first to pass on December 8th, 1883. She was 36 at the time, which 36 and having like five full grown children. That, um, no, thank you. That's a terrifying thought to me. Uh, she was soon followed by Mary Olive. Can you hear my stupid cat? I can, but I'm not mad at it. You guys just want to lay around all day until I'm doing something. It's cats for you. This microphone has a setting where it only like records from one direction, but cats are loud. Yeah, I want to try to get like a more like very directional microphone. Well, I got a second Blue Yeti for when we are in person. I'm very excited for that. I feel like the setup's going to be more comfy than sitting at my computer desk. Because mm-hmm. I've got these two microphones and arms to just kind of like attach them to tables and have them like up oh so we can literally just sit on the couch and talk yeah exactly Mm -hmm. i'm very excited because i was gonna get these anyway because i'd done my research and i these are the kind of ones i decided on but they're like 120 dollars each normally so i was waiting and then my coworker he switched to a different microphone and he wanted to downsize so he gave me he told me this one for 60 and then Amazon had a random sale the other day where they went down to 90. So together I got both for 150. Which is like crazy good since one is like usually 110. Yeah, 110, 120-ish. That's awesome. I, I'm happy. It worked out. So cool. Mary Eliza Brown, the matriarch of the family, she was the first to pass on December 8th, 1883 at the age of 36. She was followed by Mary Olive, their 20-year-old daughter, and then after that, Mercy Lena Brown, who was just 19 years old when she died after a year of sickness on January 19, 1980, 1892. Which, I just realized something. Why are these all teenage girls? I mean, are they teenage to us? Because, like, I'm, like, how, maybe they seem like. They're all, like, 19, 20. Well, yeah, but that's, like, an adult for them. It's true. Like, a whole grown-ass adult, like, you're almost. Like you're, you're, you've got eight uh, years left. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Like it's, they've lived two thirds of their lives already. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Maybe I'm just. Yeah. That's, that's my cutoff. Looking at it with my modern perspective. <laughs> when you're an adult, it's because you've lived two thirds of your life already. Now, so when that futuristic medicine finally kicks in, I'm never an adult. Yes, exactly. We'll be like hobbits where you're still a child until you're like 30. Or or we can be like the Asari who are still like children until they're like 400. Oh, yeah, that's right. She's like, I'm just a child. I'm only 100. Mm-hmm. I love Liara. She's only 109, I think, something like that. Oh, yeah. Oliver's trying to claw her way into the treat drawer. Badass. You know what? She's just she's just a hungry girl, and we respect that. We stand that. Same girl. Ugh, I I love my children, but I can't wait till I can shut them out of the room once in a while. I believe that having some like an actual peace would be nice. Yeah, yeah. These two never stop. My parents said it sounds like I just throw cats against the wall all day. <laughs> That's funny. All right, where was I? 
Um, so Mercy Brown passed away at age 19. Uh, she died after a year of sickness on January 19th, 1892. And then Edwin Brown, their younger brother, soon became afflicted with the disease as well, and soon his body began to fail. And he had a lot of doctors. He had a lot of people try and fail to help him. He actually went and spent some time in Colorado Springs because people thought that the weather would be better for his health and might make him feel better. But when he came back, he was still sick. He Nothing helped mm. him. So soon the town was in a near panic about Edwin, and they blamed his condition on one of his deceased family members who was draining him of life. In a newspaper article that was published in March 19, 1892, he was described as having been besieged on all sides by a number of people who expressed implicit faith in the old theory that by some unexplainable and unreasonable way in some part of the relative's deceased body, live flesh and blood may be found. What? Which is 1892 speak for. There's a vampire around here. That is interesting wording listen i'm high i was trying so hard to follow that can you one more time for me um so he was described as having been besieged on all sides by a number of people who expressed implicit faith in the old theory that by some unexplainable and unreasonable way in some part of the deceased relative's body live flesh and blood might be found that's a very uh impressive way of saying that he has cousins he didn't know about who have who are vampires is that right that um they think one of his family members who has previously died are a vampire coming to get him got it from how long ago like recently um i think that's what they're saying it says that he's being besieged on all sides which is someone with anxiety sounds terrible yeah true so from the way i understand it a lot of people in this town and a lot of their neighbors ended up getting really invested probably due to their history with vampires in this town really convinced the father of this family that edwin was being attacked by a vampire Jeez. so george brown the father of the family he was soon persuaded by this mob of people to give permission to exhume the bodies of his family members who had died from tuberculosis these bodies were exhumed by villagers the local doctor and a newspaper reporter who all worked together to dig up these bodies on March 17, 1892. The bodies of both Mary and Mary Olive exhibited expected signs of decomposition, um, so they were not thought to be the, co the cause. However, the corpse of a daughter, Mercy, exhibited almost no decomposition. She still had blood in her heart, she still had blood in her veins, her skin was well-preserved, um, her hair was said to have grown, and her nails were said to have grown. Is there, like, proof that this was the case? For Mercy? Yes. Oh. Yes. Um, her heart and liver were removed and burned, and the ashes were then mixed with water to create a tonic. They gave this tonic to Edwin, so he had to drink this nasty water with his sister's burned heart in it. Ew. And this was supposed to resolve his illness and stop the influence of the undead. Um... Unfortunately, that's not how science works, and he was dead within two months. I mean, yeah, you can't just... What? Yeah. Um, so what remained of Mercy's body was then buried in the cemetery of the Baptist Church in Exeter. So this story of the Rhode Island vampire of Mercy in the exhumations at this time, because there was supposedly a vampire in his family, 
this was kind of made a spectacle of because at this time, this was seen as something that was barbaric. Like this made world news that these bodies were being dug up and examined. Oh, world news. There were newspapers like all over the world that were reporting on this. Oh, wow. Because it was that uncommon. Yeah, it's just not something that was done anymore. It was un- old fashioned and unnecessary. It's really just the people in this, this town at this time that thought this was a reasonable thing to do. So every- people across the globe just became invested in the American vampire. And it wasn't just a legend because Mercy's body was actually documented to have still been very well preserved. Like doctors have said this, reporters have said this, there were witnesses um, that there was still blood present, but she had been dead for three months at this point. So there definitely shouldn't have been. Yes. But here's the thing. It gets cold in Rhode Island. So I guess the thing that they have there is, especially at this time, the ground was too frozen to dig in during certain parts of the mm-hmm. year. So what they would do if you couldn't keep the body like on your property in like a basement or something, it was stored in an above ground crypt. And these crypts, they're stone, it's cold. You're essentially making a big freezer. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Because of these conditions that this crypt created, she was basically frozen. It's kind of reasonable to see why her body was actually preserved in this way. Got it. Okay. So not vampire science. Exactly. Exactly. Vampires is more like fun to imagine. Trans vampires. Trans vampires. Yes. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. All proceeds go to the Trevor Project. Yes. So you can still visit Mercy's final resting place today. Her grave still exists at Chestnut Hill Cemetery. It's a small graveyard behind a tiny white Baptist church off 10 Rod Road. It's just a couple miles from the I-95 in Exeter, Rhode Island. Um, There's a path that goes directly through the center of the cemetery, and about halfway down is the Brown family plot underneath an evergreen tree. And there you can visit Mercy and her family members. And if you wanted to, you could also go visit Sarah's grave. So Sarah is off of Forest Hills Drive. It's if you go across the street, there's kind of a hidden entrance to this historical cemetery that's up a steep incline. It's called Rhode Island Historical Cemetery, Exeter, number 14. Sarah and her family are buried there, but we don't really know which one is Sarah's because uh, there are unfortunately six unmarked graves because there just weren't any stonecutters. Um, in the area when those family members passed. That's sad. But still kind of want to go and take photos with Sarah's family. um, Yep. And Mary's family. And if you went across town to the Oakdale Cemetery in Peacedale, you can go visit Phoebe Rose's grave as well. Oh, little Phoebe. P-H-E-B-E. Yep. So we can go visit all three vampires' graves. Very cute. Very cute. Very cute. So... Yeah, that is my story on Exeter, Rhode Island. That is cuckoo bananas. Um, I want to go. Yes. And I have some friends that live in Providence who I'm sure would love here about these spooky graves. And I'm sure there's a coven um, in the area who is very, uh, uh, very grateful for the spooky history of their town. because That's super cool. I know. I thought it was very cool, um, especially being such a small town that they have three vampire legends. Like, come on. Uh, of people who actually exist. Yeah, come on. Like, that is the real-life Halloween town. Maybe this is why they keep their town so small, because they don't want to tell people they're vampires and we just told the world. So. Listen, I'm not, I'm not mad at an invite, okay? 
I'm not mad at an invite. <laughs> if I'm a vampire, I feel like I can skirt the rules of capitalism. I would like that. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man, that was good. Yeah, it was very fun. It was very fun to research. I can imagine I want a TV. I'm, I'm not even like a big vampire person. But this one, this one I like. I just thought it was fun because not only did these things actually happen, but at the end of the spook, we get an explanation for things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like one thing that's really unsatisfying about like researching into the Salem witch trials is that doctors still don't really know what caused the girls to hallucinate like that. Their best theory is like a mass hysteria, but there's not like concrete evidence of why they all like had like the crazy spasms that they did. Yeah. I like that we get to figure out the big bad in this was tuberculosis. Yes. Go get your TV shot, please. Yes. Tuberculosis is the real villain <laughs> of the story. The vampires are just a side effect. Exactly. I've never had TB, but I've had COVID and um, the lung thing sucks. So I can't imagine having a worse version of that. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, that's why Emily's coughing all the time is because she had COVID recently. Yeah, it's not because I'm a filthy smoker or anything. Yeah, no, nothing like that. Sorry, you just tried my alarm. It was for my birth control. No worries. <laughs> Are you doing next week and then I'll do the week after? I'll kind of do like every, like every third I'll do one. Okay. So next week's me. Yeah. Okay. Is that okay with yeah, you? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I know what I want to do. You, oh, okay. Perfect. Um, do you want to? Do you want to give me a hint on what we're doing next week? Okay, perfect. We are actually going to a house in a seemingly normal street in New Jersey, which may or may not have something creepy happening inside of it. Is it murder? No, not yet. Cool. <laughs> but maybe. Oh, that's cool. Where is it again? New Jersey. It's in New Jersey. Okay, I don't know anything about New Jersey, so I don't know why I asked. Neither do um, I. Um, but my next two are going to be based in New Jersey. So, uh, sorry, New Yorkers. Oh, dang. Well, I feel like I should try to find one based in new york then so it can <laughs> kind of fuel the fuel the fight over here i've never been to either i've been to an airport in new jersey oh how was that um everything oh. was operated by ipads and there was an entire make america great again store oh. um but it was weird like you go to a restaurant and you order off an ipad or you go to um the little market and you scan with the ipad and you sit at your table and you tell the waiter where you are with your ipad that's interesting weird yeah Yeah, that's a lot of ipads i mean like i know i've been to like a um like a yard house with a ipad um for like paying our bill or like playing games on but never for ordering also yeah it's not like the ipad in the olive garden where you can aggressively play trivia very loudly so that no one gets seated around your corner correct also now i really want breadsticks i know an eggplant Ooh, that i can't relate to i've never had a plant i don't think (laughs) they have a fried eggplant covered in cheese and it's perfect with an entire pitcher of sangria the green island sangria the green not the green 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 apple that sounds delicious i love it i don't know why it took me so long to think of the word for apple when we were just talking about an apple farmer (laughs) all right how are we closing this out my dude so thank you for joining us this week you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts at full scream ahead you can also follow us on instagram at full scream ahead or you can email us any questions comments personal stories preferably vampire themed Um, you can send us those at full scream ahead podcast at gmail.com trans vampire trans vampires (laughs) bye bye
Vampires. 